standpoint. I think everybody in life has a chance to live two and three, four versions of ourselves, and we just get better as we go. I learned things about myself during dating and moving to New York and having new work that I would never have learned had I stayed in Texas in that environment that I knew so well. This is episode number 494 with Kate Somerset. Mom, you just need to get laid. (laughs) These are her post-divorce stories about dating in midlife. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you would like some support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love, and it's filled with 30 chapters. It's divided into three sections, show up, stand up, and speak up. And these are all ways to get you to step fully into your core confidence and into your fullest potential. You can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. And this week's tip from the book is step number 24, which is practice saying no. This comes up a lot in the dating world where you have to say no. And the the way to really know whether it should be a no or a yes for yourself is to really stop and check in with yourself. Is this something that is in alignment with my values? Is this something that's going to feel out of alignment? And if it's an out of alignment thing, then say no. And it doesn't have to be a harsh no. It could be, um, that doesn't work for me. Can I tell you what works better? That's a softer no, which is a a gentle boundary. And uh, so my challenge to you this week is to think about something you're saying yes to, whether it's a volunteer opportunity that you want to say no to, a favor someone asks of you, or going out again with somebody you want to say no to, be honest with yourself and say no. Before I bring Kate onto the show, I invite you to join our amazing Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And we are a a really supportive place for you to come and have a community that supports you, which is really rare as you date and you don't have friends who are doing what you're doing and nobody knows how you feel, but we do. We're here to support you in your growth and in your journey to your last first date. So join us there. And now for my guest, Kate Somerset. She is the author of Mom, You Just Need to Get Laid, The Adventures of Dating After Divorce. She wrote it under a pen name and the book recounts the humorous and unexpected stories of Kate as she navigates her way through dating in New York City. A recent transplant from Texas to the Big Apple, Kate hadn't had a date in 30 years when she landed in Manhattan, but she was determined to build community for herself in her new home. And she found that dating was a perfect way to meet people and explore the amazing city of New York. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much, Sandy. I'm delighted to be here. Let's start with why did you write this book? Well, I probably wouldn't have written the book had it not been for the encouragement of several girlfriends over at Mimosas one Sunday. I had met people in the city that is girlfriends in the city that I felt were an oasis for me because coming from Texas, it was a huge life transition to be a Texan and then a Manhattanite. And so I was telling them stories about my dating life and I had accumulated a lot because I'd gone out on a lot of dates when I got here, not 
planning to do that, but that is actually how my story evolved. So they said, you've got to write these stories down. They're just so unique. And the people that you've gone out with are so different. And maybe New Yorkers wouldn't necessarily have these experiences, even though they live in New York. So I thought about it and I decided I'd make a list of the men that I went out with that I thought might make good stories. And I got to the top 15 and I said, okay, maybe I have a book. And that's how it started. I love it. And it's, it's such a fun book. It's, it was just so much fun to read about all the adventures you had. And the men really are very different from each other, which is great because I think a lot of people get stuck in a type and they only date men who have a PhD, uh, six feet tall, full head of hair, nice teeth, um, you know, just a lot of the external things and the same type of person over and over and over again. And you really explored. So we're going to get into some of the guys in just a minute, but let's first talk about the title, Mom, You Just Need to Get Laid. How did you come up with that title? When my daughter and I were living together in the house that she grew up in in Texas, and I was separated from my husband of 24 years, she and I had a rough patch. We were fussing all the time with each other. I, you know, I don't, I know you've got a son, you know, there, there's this thing about mothers and daughters, uh, that particularly teenage daughters, when they get on each other's nerves and I, that we were no different. And it was more complicated because of my separation. So there was a night in the middle of that period of time before I got a divorce, when my daughter came home very late on a weekend with a group of friends and they took over my workspace in my kitchen. And first they ate their In-N-Out burgers and made a lot of noise. And I was trying to do the thing I had to accomplish for work. And then when I left the room for a moment, they took over the physical chair where, which was in front of my computer and they were doing a Facebook search. And so I knew it wasn't important. I sh tried to shoo them out of the, out of the space. And my daughter just wouldn't budge. She turned around and sort of looked at me over her shoulder and said, mom, you're just so bossy. Why don't you just let me have fun? You know, you see, I'm with my friends. What are you doing? And so I said, I need to get the work done. You can take this group into your room. And so back and forth and back and forth, she finally left the chair, but she wasn't through as she exited the room, she again gave me that sort of saucy little look over her shoulder and turned and said to me, mom, you know what? You just need to get laid. And I was so shocked. First of all, I had been in this marriage for a very long time. And as you referenced in the introduction, I hadn't been on a date in 30 years. And the thought, I couldn't even leap to one, the idea of dating and two, any idea of intimacy that was just beyond my you know, my concept at that point, and that my daughter would sort of cross that line and say that to me made me laugh. I don't know how others of your listeners would react if a teenager said something to you like that. And maybe you've been, maybe your son said that to you. I don't know. But at any rate, I never forgot it. And so fast forward to moving to Manhattan and having this drink with these girlfriends, and they're telling me I should write a book. And I thought to myself, even then, and didn't voice it, I, should absolutely give that book this title. You know, it just was too good to pass up. So that's the origin of it. I had to ask my daughter's permission because I really, it was what she said to me. It wasn't what I had invented. And when she said, I'd love for you to use that title, then I was ready to go. I love it. I have two daughters uh, as well. And so um, 
it, it's interesting because my kids, the last thing they wanted was for me to get laid. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> when I told them I was going to date, they were like, mom, I don't want you to date. I don't want another father. I don't, you know, they were, they were all teenagers at the time. I think they were 13, 16 and 19 when I got divorced. So one was already out of the house, but by the time I was ready to date, it was about two years later. So 15 and 18. Um, so my son really was interesting. He said to me, mom, I understand that you want to date but I don't really know why you need a man because you're like a man and a woman and you don't really need one. <laughs> Actually, I think that's a really great compliment and that he would recognize that. Now, where was he in the lineup? Was he also a teenager? He was a teenager. He was the middle. So he was 18, okay. I think, at the time. Yeah, he he totally understood that I'd want to have a partner, that I'd want to get out there and date again. My youngest was really not happy. She didn't want me to move on. And the oldest was on her way to getting married. She was on the, on a trajectory to, to get married young, which she did. And so she was living in Israel. She was totally out of the house. But I, I think it's fascinating that your daughter said that. And, you know, I understand it's kind of uh, that that statement that people say when when you're kind of uptight. You know, you just need to get laid. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, you know, she she went on though, and we we continued. And at first, I expressed my shock, and she said, "I'm totally serious. That would just make you human." And so she was still on the theme of getting late as a solution for my being what she perceived to be bossy or grouchy. But then she switched gears, and she said, "You know, you need to find somebody to love you before you get too old." And again, there was that backhanded, you know, that was that was sort of a compliment, but really not. But she said, she said you know, you're, you're someone to love. And so there was the compliment and it took a while to get to it. She never wavered from the very beginning. When I asked her if I could have permission, this was some, you know, a couple of years later, at least if I could have permission to use this title for the book, she's never once said, Oh, you know, that kind of makes me feel icky. I don't, that, that's sort of squeamish. I don't know. You're my mom after all. Not at all. She lives in Los Angeles and she's getting actually ready to get married as we discussed this today. It's the wedding is, is New Year's Eve. And so she says to me, amidst all of my wedding gifts that are sitting on my coffee table is your book. And so everybody that comes into my house in LA sees your book. So she's proud of it in a way, although she's not read all of it. So in her own good time, if she ever does, we'll see. Uh, that's great. I... I have a daughter who lives in LA too, as a matter of fact, oh, <laughs> my youngest lives there now. Yeah. It is a small world. You know, your book is not very graphic. Like, and so I, I, I wouldn't think that a child reading your book would feel too cringy. You know, you, you don't get into the stuff that, that kids would not want to read. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you, you know, you, the title is so racy, but you don't mention getting laid at all in the book. And I'm wondering why you did that. Well, I, first of all, I believe that Kate, which is my pen name, as you referenced earlier, has this policy that she sticks to about not kissing and telling. Now there's kissing in the book. So there's 
there's that, of course. But it would have been a very different book if I had written about intimate moments. I think it would have changed the character. I, I really, what I wanted people to focus on, readers to focus on, was one, I wanted them to be entertained. And I'm glad you were that, you know, so appreciate you reading the book, but there's a much larger message than entertainment in this book, which is about believing in yourself through big transition and challenge in your life. And that's what I'm hoping that readers get from the book. It's the macro message that anybody can be Kate Somerset. That's one of the reasons I used a pen name. So I don't, I couldn't necessarily say that about myself. Anybody could be my name that would seem a little bit uh, conceited. And I don't mean it that way, but I wanted people to adopt an attitude of, of possibility and of optimism. And so there's not a reason necessarily to add in the intimacy piece. I did, um, I was amused though. I'm in touch with a number of these men that I, that I really consider to be great friends. And so I sent a text at some point when the book was out to a, a number of them. And one of them, Marcus, that you, you might ask me about, I don't know, um, answered back and said, oh, it's Kate, my favorite person. I always wondered, did you ever get laid? Because obviously, you know, he was one of the stories and he knew he was going to be in the book. Yeah. And so I, I, I love that because there is that curiosity factor. And I've had readers say to me, okay, I read those chapters very carefully and I'm trying to figure out what happened in each case and I've said well it's your imagination that gets to have fun there which I think is the the sign of a good writing you know when you read something and they spell it out for you it's almost like they're dumbing down who you are and I like the uh you know kind of fill in the blank you figure out what happened because obviously some of these guys you went away with and you spent a long time with you weren't just sitting around having mimosas, <laughs> there was more going on. Yeah, I reserved that for the girlfriends. I right. men like mimosas. I've never been around one that did. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so you mentioned the pseudonym and you're saying that anybody can be Kate. And so tell us a little more about like the choice of using this pseudonym and what you mean by Kate, like dating like Kate. Well, originally, uh, I back up a step and say, I'm also working on another book about leadership and that is my professional work. And so my first thought was I'm going to do this crazy thing, which is try to write parallel books. And it's very hard to do. I learned that later I had to finish one and the other got put on the back burner for the time being I'm back working on that now. But my idea at the time was, I really don't think it makes sense for me to have a book that comes out first uh, about dating when my platform is is about leadership and nonprofit work. So I'll just use a pen name, silly me to think about just use a pen name is a lot more trouble than using your real name in terms of marketing costs and effort and creating a brand and all of that. But as I went along, there were other reasons that it began to make sense to me. It, it wasn't just that this should be the, the leadership book should be the first book out. But it was also that I wanted to protect the identity of the men. As I said, many of them know they're in the book, but it also was about giving me complete freedom to write their story and not have them walk into a situation where somebody would have the book and say, oh my gosh, is that you? I know you dated her with my real name. And maybe, you know, maybe they're private people. Maybe they don't want that out there. Maybe they're dating somebody now who wouldn't want to read that chapter. I, I don't know. So those are the, the first couple of reasons, writing the first 
writing the other book and writing with the men at arm's length. But the part about being everybody can be Kate, I've encountered, and I know you have too because of your excellent writing and all your coaching. I've encountered many singles, not just women, who believe that when their long relationship is over, that's it. They are not willing to, or they're they're not uh, committed to finding the next chapter for themselves. It may be that it's too fearful, it's too scary, it's too risky. Uh, they don't have the path to to walk down. They don't know what direction to go. So that inertia causes them to do nothing, and and so therefore they, for lack of a better metaphor they just curl up in a ball and that's it they've lived that part of their lives and they think their romantic part of their lives is over and i want people to believe that's not the case i don't believe it's the case i really don't i think everybody in life has a chance to live two and three four versions of ourselves and we just get better as we go i learned things about myself during dating and moving to new york and having new work that I would never have learned had I stayed in Texas in that environment that I knew so well. Yeah, no, and and I see this every day as well. It's uh, very well said that people come to me after two, three relationships have ended, some through being widowed and some through divorce, and they still believe in love and they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to figure it out. But not everybody believes that. And, and for even for these women who come to me after all these relationships, and maybe they're in their late 60s or early 70s, they can waver. You know, it can feel very defeating, especially when the online dating isn't working or they're not putting the effort in or they're very rigid in the way they think, which is three quarters of the issue. Um, yeah, so I, I love that. I think that... It would be great if everybody dated with a much more growth mindset like you have and were open to their dating life expanding as they get older, not contracting. I actually helped my mother when she was widowed in her 80s. Really? <laughs> how old she was. Oh, I love that. Yeah, she, uh, she wanted companionship and she goes, can you help me get online? <laughs> I was like, okay, mom, but you're going to have to listen to me. <laughs> well, good for you. No, nothing like doing that for a family member. And, you know, again, I don't know if I would have dated or not dated based on what my daughter said to me on that fateful Friday night in Texas, but it planted a seed for me, which was she thought my own daughter thought that I was somehow eligible and you don't think of yourself as eligible when you're in a crisis, when you're separated, going through a difficult divorce, when you've lost a spouse, you just think of hunkering down. It's not an easy thing to think expansively, as you mentioned, this rigidity is being an issue. It's that you can't learn new things and you can learn new things. And that's part of what dating really is. It's about learning about other people that you never knew before. Yeah, I, I always say that you learn so much about yourself and about the person you're dating when you're out there dating. A lot of people stay in that thought place where they're doing research and they're reading another book and they're listening to another podcast like this one, and they don't actually go out and date. And I've been reading comments in my Facebook group about like, oh, I'm going to start dating again in 2022. And now I'm going to really, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> 
I'm like, just do it. Just get out there and do it. And it, it well, is scary. You, know, you, you get better at it. It's, it's, this is not a game. Obviously it's a, it's a way we express ourselves in the world, but no matter what we do, whether it's our workplace, it's your, it's writing, it's your coaching, it's all the things that you are dedicated to in your life. I know you have this feeling as I do that, oh, I finally nailed that. I finally figured that out. You never nail relationships perfectly because it's a work in progress always, our friendships, our workplace relationships, and our romantic relationships. But we do get more comfortable in our own skin, and that's so much of it, is we can feel good about who we are and how we present to the world. And we also know that there are so many different kinds of people. So if someone's not attracted to you in one setting, another person might be attracted to you if you're if you're doing the exact same thing you were with person number one who didn't like you. So it's nothing to, it's nothing to take personally either when you don't click with someone. It's not about you, it's about them. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one for people to swallow. I think the rejection piece is, you know, you talked about fears and that's one of the biggest fears is what if I'm not liked? And we don't wanna be liked by everyone. I mean, I think that's the shocker is like, why do you want to be liked by, by everyone? That would mean that you were so neutral in your personality that you could be a chameleon and fit in anywhere, but aren't you losing part of yourself if you're liked by everyone? Like I, I just- That's, that's a great you know. way to say it. Yes, yes, you. Well, you know, from reading the book, the, the very first chapter, which by the way, the chapters are not chronological because I think it's more entertaining to- figure out what Kate's doing at different times. But the first chapter was the first date. And in that lead up to that date, this gentleman who was in Pennsylvania and I had contemplated that we were going to be going on a long distance date. And we had talked on the phone for four and a half hours on our first call and everything seemed to be going beautifully. Then we have the date and the date felt odd and uncomfortable. And there, we were just off our stride, each of us probably to the other. And yet when after that first date, when he called me several days later to let me know that he felt like it wasn't going to work. I was so driven to understand why that I asked him for an exit interview, which, which I can't believe now I did it, but he granted it. And it was enlightening to see what he thought about me that was not what I perceived he thought about me. Now, you won't get that opportunity every time you go out with someone. They will they will ghost you or disappear or whatever happens in that relationship prematurely, if it ever was to be one. And you won't get to say, tell me what you liked and tell me what you didn't like. Tell me what worked and tell me what didn't work. That was, that was a great way to begin dating for me to actually have the courage to ask the question, get the answer and move on. I love the exit interview. I, I, uh, Rachel Greenwald wrote a book called Have a Met Hello. And she is a matchmaker and dating coach who has a Harvard MBA. So she thinks in terms of business and she conducted exit interviews with, I think, a thousand men to find out why they didn't call women back. And it was exactly that. It was never what women thought. It was right. women often thought they were being too intimidating or not interesting enough or you know i think the number one thing women felt was that they were intimidating and the number one thing men said 
was that the women were too bossy, especially like these business types. And they did not date in a way that was feminine and made them feel any sense of romance. And I think that's a big issue today where women are incredibly accomplished. They are beautiful and amazing, but they don't date like they're on a date. They date like they're having a colleague to colleague, you know, session, meeting over exactly. drinks. And well, you, yeah. You asked me, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, sorry about that. I There is a, a list of 10 things that I've created that I call Date Like Kate. And one of them is to be grateful for the experience that you're having with the that the date that you're with. And part of that is not to shortcut saying thank you and not to uh, lack appreciation for whatever it is that the date is providing in the way of that first opportunity to get together. Uh, I, I grew up in the South, so there is this sort of old fashioned attitude that the man pays the first time you go somewhere. And I think that's still fairly traditional. Um, it may not happen on the second date, of course, but that attitude about being grateful is something that I've heard men say to me about the reason you're so different, Kate, is because you're grateful. I can tell you really appreciate it. And a lot of women don't. And that shocks me that they that they don't. The, another thing that women do, as you referenced, is that they have, an, they have a, an end goal in mind. They may come in with the notion of, okay, you've got to be these three things to me, or I'm not going to go out with you again. And I, I don't, I never had an end goal in dating. I don't have one. I, I want to experience the person as they appear in front of me. And I may learn something that I've never known about someone else that is very attractive to me. If I knew in advance what I was looking for, if I needed to have a person who went to an Ivy League school, as an example, then I would rule out 90% of the people that I might have contacted, either online or, or in person. You know from one of the chapters that there was a gentleman who reminded me constantly that he made an exception to date me because I didn't go to an Ivy League school. Right. It was probably in every conversation. Well, I made an exception for you. You don't live you know, where I want you to live. And you don't, you know, you don't, uh, you didn't go to an Ivy league school. And at one point later when he was angry about, um, uh, well, I don't want to give away the chapter, but, but angry about my deciding to exit, he said, well, I was told, you know, you'd die first anyway, because you had cancer. And so he was, he was always, he was always very aggressive in that way, but it was this notion of you, you have to check all the boxes. And I don't think I have a box list. I, I, I guess I obviously I have standards that are important to me and values that are important to me. And so when those things don't jive, then that tells me this might not be the right approach or the right relationship. But to have the boxes going in is not to date like Kate. Right. So most people have a long list of boxes. And I, I love the graciousness. And it's amazing how many people don't say thank you. I mean, I, I always tell women, say thank you on the date. Say thank you for coming to the date. Say thank you for paying for the date. Say thank right. you for meeting me. I mean, it's don't take it for granted that somebody's just going to show up and be kind. It's it's something to to be grateful for. And you know, not everybody thinks like that. Not everybody says what they feel. And so I love that. I'll ask you, do you have um, 
a favorite man in the book? I'm really curious to know that. I liked a lot of them. I think one of the ones that was really interesting to me was the um, the, the train. Oh, conductor. Cupido, the conductor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was just so magical the way that, um, first of all, that you went out with somebody who was very blue collar, you know, which a lot, again, that's, that's a box that a lot of people tick is right. they have to be in some kind of white collar industry. And um, he was also like just taking you to see the behind the scenes of how the trains worked and how fascinated you were. You have an incredible sense of curiosity, which I think is also what made you date like Kate. Um, and it's, uh, I think everybody could use a little more curiosity and less judgment. And so that led to you having so many different kinds of dates. But yeah, talk a little bit about Cupido the conductor. Well, so uh, Cupido was an online match, and I had a, I had really swiped left on him a number of times, and he kept appearing in my inbox. And so I looked more carefully to see. I didn't know why he was reappearing. I guess he was trying again, and I thought, okay, this is uh, silly for me to be if he continues to try to contact me for for me to say no. And again, my attitude was, I'm building communities, I'm meeting people, so I accepted the opportunity to have a phone call with him and he was he was a gusher you know he was oh my gosh I loved your picture and I can't wait to meet you and uh let's go do something like in 10 minutes it wasn't that abrupt but it felt like that and so we go to this he was he's Italian and lives in a neighbor of true neighborhood in on Long Island and it's near one of the train stations, which he, sh he showed me the switching station at that train station. And it, what we went to this little tiny, tiny, tiny place called Lorenzo's place. And it was, it was not his hangout. He wanted it to be, he wanted to be one of them, but he really wasn't one of them. And so it was this whole comical event of his trying to order wine and he couldn't get it. And then I felt like I really truly was, I didn't belong there either, but I, observed as you said I'm so curious and I observed this setting which like a movie set I'd never been in a place like this before and so we had a conversation there and then we started talking about trains and he said have you ever seen a switching station and I said never and he said would you like to see one and I said of course so we crossed the road it's dimly lit you know there's there's sort of trash everywhere and and I'm thinking I am living in a movie because most people would have said I'm going home now and it's midnight and so we go to this this setup it's a little uh kind of a metal house above the train station and find the one lone employee that's working the midnight shift who lets us in after Cupido's banging and banging on the door. And I talked to this man for 45 minutes about how trains get switched in the train yard. And there was an amazing computer system in this grungy, grungy place. It smelled like stale coffee. You know, this, the team that works there probably does nothing but drink coffee and watch this computer board to make sure the trains are doing the right thing. And so at the end of the conversation with this gentleman, he said, you know, you ask more questions. I've been married to my wife for 30 years and you ask me more questions and know more about trains in this conversation than she's ever known. <laughs> and so, and Cupido's beaming. He said, isn't she great? And <laughs> so again, he was proud that he had brought this woman up to the switching station at midnight. And 
And then subsequently he invited me to see the inner workings of Penn Station, which is just a magnificent, exciting adventure. So, but you asked me, you said something a moment ago, you asked me to tell you about these date like Kate 10 points. So I can do that because I know we're running out of time on this interview. So I'll run through them quickly. But the first one is to be approachable, which means that we have to be willing to say to ourselves, we're going to go online because that's one way that we can be approachable. People can't find you if you're not available in some way. And that online conversation obviously could be a whole other session. I'm sure you've done many about online dating. So, or if you're in a setting where you're in person, then if someone does approach you, you have to be comfortable with at least engaging conversation. One of the people that didn't make the book was a man I met in the grocery store. And I, he saw me when I was picking up a rotisserie chicken and I saw him in the frozen foods, at which point he decided to speak to me. And so I carried on the conversation and it was interesting. And there was a, a date that came out of that, but um, it wouldn't have happened had I been too frozen in the frozen foods to speak to. So (laughs) being approachable is number one. Number two, I've mentioned, which is to have an attitude of respect and gratitude. So I mentioned gratitude, but there's also respect for where people are coming from, for where their heartaches are, for what challenges they face, for what circumstances bring them into the dating world, for what struggles they've had being rejected, perhaps. You know, it's not just you that gets rejected. We all do, but everybody deserves respect no matter their story. And so that's part of that respect and gratitude, number two. Number three is to don't prejudge a person before you know them. We talked about that a bit earlier, but uh, you know, just because somebody has a, a Harvard MBA, it, uh, doesn't mean that that person is someone that you're going to enjoy if that's on your bucket list and that person meets or ticks off that box it doesn't necessarily mean you prejudge them in a way that gives them an advantage but maybe that's not an advantage as far as you're concerned Um, i went out with a person that um, was a cancer survivor and we actually i'm a cancer survivor too And I thought because we're both cancer survivors, it's a little bit of prejudging that we would have more in common than we did. Um, We we didn't, we had very different circumstances and he held different beliefs about his health than I do about mine. So that was, I was glad I was open to what his points of view were. So we prejudge in all kinds of ways. We do that on first impression. You know, you say, okay, somebody doesn't size up in 10 seconds, you know, I'm out of here. But that's part of the prejudging that we don't want to do or we lose out the possibility of a, a more significant conversation and potentially a relationship. Number four is take yourself less seriously. I laugh at myself all the time. You know, there are things I do that are so silly. And if I'm on a date and I do it, I say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. Because, you know, I don't mind looking foolish if if I did something foolish. I don't mind admitting that I don't know something if I don't know it. If we take ourselves so seriously, we have to be so buttoned up and so perfect. That's a real turnoff for men or for others, for anybody. I think that again comes from my being coming into to Manhattan and from Texas and sort of throwing my beanie up in the air and going, okay, here I am. Um, I'm going to get this a lot of this wrong, but I hope I can get some of it right. And so we don't want to We don't want to be so serious that we turn people off. Um, Number five is embrace dating as an adventure. I've been out with more than 50 people. And every time I went out with somebody, 
it was a brand new slate. I wiped the old slates clean and I said, okay, this is going to be fun. I always have that attitude. This is going to be great. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what the script is going to be. I haven't written it yet. He's not written it yet. And so it's going to be an adventure. And if we think about our lives post-divorce, post, um, in my case, cancer, you know, post a big, huge move, um, post other challenges that I've had in my life and you've had in yours, it is an adventure. And sometimes adventures turn out great and sometimes they're really scary, but it doesn't matter. It's still an adventure and we have to see it like that. Number six is don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. I've done that so many times. I'm the, I'm the shred of the human I was when I lived in Texas, but there's is a new outer shell that's come from finding a place in Manhattan and building new relationships. And so when we reinvent ourselves, we make ourselves a lot more interesting. If I were the Texan writing the book about dating in Texas, I don't think it'd be as interesting as it is about dating in Manhattan. One is we've got these great iconic backdrops in this, this tri-state region, but it's also about, I adopt a different attitude. Uh, number seven, seven is to make authentic connections. And, and what I mean about that is to be your real self. And part of being authentic is to be vulnerable. So you can say that something didn't go right for you and you could talk about that. And in your vulnerability, the other person may be willing to share something about his life because none of us have it all going right. Not one of us. There's something, there's some challenge that we all face and our vulnerability is what makes us human. I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. I, I know so many of your listeners are. Her new book is uh, on my list to read and she's captured it so beautifully. She talks about how we're wired for connection, but the only way connection really works is to be able to give something of yourself, to share something that's not obvious when people meet you. The eighth is to invest in genuine relationships. So that's when I said earlier that these men, so many of them are still my friends. I have uh, walked through some cancer diagnoses with several of them since the book came out. Um, I have helped one of them uh, think about a college admission decision for a child. I've introduced one another to a, a woman that I thought he should date since he wasn't dating me. There's just been all kinds of ways that that, that I thought this, that if this is a relationship, it needs to be genuine and I need to put myself out there for that. Number nine is uh, something you referenced earlier and I appreciate that you noted this about me that I am curious that you approach dating with curiosity and with hope. So if you go in thinking, okay, this is, I'm just doing this out of obligation. I have no hope this is going to be a good event or a good evening. Then it won't be because you don't hope that it will be. You don't, you don't feel optimistic that it can be. And yet when you switch that around and you say about going with Cubido to the train state station, you know, the, the switching station rather, this is fun. It's an adventure. And I'm, I am hopeful that this, that I can be a bright spot in his life. He later told me, that I was, and even though we didn't date for very long, he remembers it fondly. And I think that's because I was hopeful that I could do something to make his life better. And the last one is what you said at the very beginning, I think even pre-taping this call about, we need to get out there. You know, you can't just, you know, aim, aim, aim all the time and never fire. You know, you can't do all the research and not and actually do the thing, which is to go on the date. So you have to put yourself out there. And I know that's really scary and hard, but once you do it, it just gets easier. So those are my 10 points. 
I love those 10 points. And again, they speak to a growth mindset. It's for anybody who doesn't know what that is, there's uh, Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset. And yes. she talked about the difference between a growth and a fixed mindset. And fixed mindset means you go into dating and think uh, it's, it can only work if these rigid things happen and take place. And if a person is not for me, then I'm probably going to quit dating and just get a cat. And the growth mindset <laughs> is you are approaching it with curiosity and openness and you're getting out there and you're making connections. Just all the things that you shared really is, is necessary to have success in dating. I, I really think that these are a great 10 tips. I, uh, I, I love the stories. I love your attitude. And um, let's, let's end with what you hope people will take away. You you did mention earlier that you hope that they develop an attitude of optimism. And do you want to add anything to that? Well, I hope people will recognize that we're never stationary in the place we are today. We can be faced with the biggest challenge and we can think, this is my life. This defines me. But it's a season of life. And when we look back on the challenge that we faced, it too did pass as much as we felt we were mired there and we couldn't get out. So you will find that there are seasons of relationships, there are seasons of friendships, there are seasons in dating. And at some point, we're always going to be experiencing change. And so if you think of your life in that way, it is a matter of uh, knowing that you're not stuck where you are and you have choices. And so know for all your listeners, you have choices. If you need to write that, and put it on your mirror. That's what dating really is about. It is about making choices for yourself that are the best you can do for yourself. And I think, and I've always believed that meeting new people, bringing people into our lives enriches our lives. You know, we, we all have friends that come into our lives and we're changed as a result of those friendships. So I, I'm a, such a strong uh, proponent of being a connector. I could not agree more. I think that, you know, just sometimes just leaving the house opens you to a new adventure. Like you said, the grocery store, anywhere you go and get off your phone and look up and make connections. I mean, we're so, we're so protected with our, with our phones that we're not even noticing that there could be amazing people in front of us and they don't all have to lead to your last first date. They could be a friend. They could become a business connection. They could lead to them knowing somebody that you don't know yet. I mean, this has happened to so many people that, that I know who joined a meetup group for hiking and that person invited them to Thanksgiving dinner and she sat next to the man who became her husband. Well, she would never have met him had she not gotten out of her comfort zone, met new people who then knew people who knew people. And so we never know. And I just, I think your book is filled with wonderful stories. They're, they're really so diverse and so interesting. And I think a lot of people would not have gone out on dates with a lot of people you dated. And I think it's enriched your life and theirs. So I, I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for having me, Sandy. I've so enjoyed this. Me too, Kate. And uh, if you can let people know how they can find your book and find your website, that would be great. 
Absolutely. Well, my book is on Amazon and the audio book is on Audible. And you can find my book also in bookstores. They'll order the book for you. Uh, I would advise Amazon these days just because of supply chain being what it is. And I always am more than happy to work with someone who's bought a book and wants it signed. So if you can uh, know that you can contact me, I answer all emails. It's kate at katesomerset.com. And my website is also katesomerset.com. And there's a contact form there as well. So I look forward to hearing from your listeners. And I look forward to staying in touch with you, Sandy, and hope we get a chance to meet. I would love that. Um, Thank you, Kate. And thanks everyone for listening. If you love our show, please, please rate, review, give us a five-star review, send it to a friend, everything helps. And we hope that you go on your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.